Well, good morning, church. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning here in person and in our worship center and over our live stream. I'm going to begin a series of sermons today in, in thinking about the mind and the passion of our Savior. It's going to be a section out of Luke 17, 11 and following where Christ set his face and his heart and his mind to go to Jerusalem. Uh, so today we're going to be in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as Jesus entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. So the, the, the background is that there were ten lepers. They cried out to Christ. Christ said, go and show yourselves to the priest. In the Old Testament, when you were cleansed of your leprosy, you would go to the priest, and the priest would go through a very exhaustive research certifying process to say, yes, they have been cleansed. So these lepers, by faith, started toward the temple to meet the priest, and as they went, they were healed. So this passage talks about Christ healing people, forgiving people, working the lives of people. The Gospel of John says the light has come and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. And still today, by the grace of Christ, the darkness doesn't overcome the marvelous gospel of grace. Now, if you think about this passage and you've read through it, one of the things you come away with is this. We should be thankful people like the foreigner. That by the word, way the word foreigner that's used in this passage is the only time that word is used in the New Testament. Jesus says this foreigner has come back, but the other nine have not. So it, it, people say this is about being thankful. I want to suggest to you that the primary meaning of this passage is to understand that the Lord Christ, in his tender mercy, forgives people who are outcast and marginalized and who are the the people that are considered the, the, the deplorables of our culture, that he cares for people. The main focus of this passage is on this double outcast, this man who was a leper but also a Samaritan. It's a marvelous passage that talks about the grace of Christ. Well, first of all, there were 10 lepers. We know in the Old Testament and the New Testament that leprosy is used, for example, 66 times the word is used, 66 times in the Bible, 13 times in the New Testament. So it is a, a well-known disease that, that, would, that would literally eat away at your body 
and kill the nerve endings in your feet and your hands and scar your body. It was a horrible disease. Uh, it was a disease that was thought to be communicable. And so this is the approach to leprosy from the Levitical Code in the Old Testament. Listen, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, he shall live alone. His dwelling place shall be outside of the camp. So this is what happens. So you, you're, you're, you're to wear old clothes that are torn so you can be obvious to people. You can't manicure your hair. You're supposed to let it hang in some type of an unkept fashion. You're to cover your face. And as you go down the street, you're to cry, unclean, unclean, and people run for cover. It is really COVID-19 on steroids. So people had, this is what they did. And the worst part about it is, I think, you had to live outside the camp. You couldn't live among people. You had to live among lepers outside the camp, outside the city. You couldn't go into the city. See, part of the problem of what we're dealing now in this pandemic is uh, article after article I've read said that the, the most damaging thing, of course, apart from death, especially for older Americans, is a sense of isolation. Uh, I have, my mother-in-law is in a retirement home. My mom and dad are in a retirement home. Uh, my parents basically are in a room. They're locked down. The food is dropped off at their door. They really can't go outside and, and do anything. They've been sitting in their room. And at least they have each other. But I mean, this isolation, we were not made for isolation. That's why this is so weird. We were made for community. We were made for friendship. You can't make it without friendship. The Bible is very clear on that. And in fact, the, the reason we're made for friendship is because you and I are made in the image of God. And God is gloriously Trinitarian throughout eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with himself. So, so we are made for fellowship. That's why this, really the issue of leprosy, the horrible, horrible part about the physical nature is, is obvious, but, but really the, the, the psychological effect of being segmented and separated and outside the camp and considered to be a cast off and, and, and a, a deplorable. And you go down the street, you have to cry out, unclean, unclean. Imagine that. There's a man named Paul Brand a surgeon physician. He was raised in India. His parents were missionaries in India. He went to the, the UK and met his wife in medical school. They both were surgeons. They got out of medical school and residency and went back to India to minister among lepers for 20 years. And after 20 years, he took a job at a hospital in Carville, Louisiana, the only leper hospital in America, a research center. He wrote a book in the early 80s, a wonderful book co-authored called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, based upon Psalm 139 that talks about the miracle of birth and life and the body. And then a few years after that, he wrote The Gift of Pain. And in the book, he says this. He's, a, he's worked with lepers for over 40 years. And he says, if I had one gift to give my patients, it would be the gift of pain, to, to feel pain. Because his lepers injure themselves because they, they burn their hands and they don't know they're burning their hands. So it's a horrible thing. So these were lepers. These were unclean, cast off, marginalized people. But then there's one guy among them. And he was a Samaritan. Now a Samaritan, um, 
Samaritan was, was a group of people in the Palestine who 800 years before, 800 years, when the Assyrian captivity happened with the Northern Kingdom in 722 BC, they had refused to leave the land and they stayed and they intermarried with non-worshiping pagans. And so year after year after generation after generation, there was intermarriage, intermarriage. They developed their own sacrificial system. They had, they accepted part of the law of Moses. They had their own place of worship and it wasn't Jerusalem. Uh, and, and the Jews hated them. The Jews considered them to be idolatrous outcast. In fact, in John 4, where Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman, the bracketed statement is this, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans were considered impure, outcast. We have nothing to do with them. They're violating the great name of the Lord God Jehovah by having this syncretistic worship. So, so this guy was doubly condemned. He was not only a leper, he was a Samaritan. I mean, it was just a horrible experience. And I, I, I thought about a modern day example and the example I came up with was in Europe today, there are 10 million people called Roma or some people call them gypsies or Romani or travelers. And these, this people group came to, to Europe around the ninth century. But, but for century after century, they have lived a, a life of, of, of traveling and, and going from place to place and they've been rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. In fact, I'm gonna show you a picture now of a Roma family from about a hundred years ago, but really it hasn't changed much. In fact, if you go through, especially parts of Eastern Europe today, I've been gone through these small cities and there'll be a, a, a building that has been abandoned or has been left without being completed because it ran out of money and there's no water, there's no electricity and there are people living in the building. And if you ask an English speaker on the bus or down the street, who are those people? They will say, oh, they are Roma. They're Roma. And, and, and they're considered to, to be forsaken, marginalized people, who really aren't fellow citizens, it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. There are 10 million of them in Europe today. In fact, in World War II, the Nazis killed, liquidated in the Holocaust, 500,000 plus Roma, along with the six million Jews and other people, which would have been 25% of the population of Europe. It was horrible. A few years ago, Poland adopted every August 2nd, which will be this week, a National Remembrance Day for the Roma Holocaust. They said that just, they were murdered. They were forsaken, forgotten people. Now that's kind of the flavor here of what it's about. But this passage is all about Jesus healing forsaken and hopeless people. I'm going to give you three principles and then a paradigm. This is a great passage. Boy, it's a great passage. Number one is this. Pain, there's pain in recognizing your need, but the pain can lead to deliverance. There's pain in recognizing your need. There, there's, there just is. See, the beauty of this passage is that, uh, that you couldn't say, I'm not a leper. I'm not a leper. As your fingers are rotting off, there are horrible scars on your face and, and you have to wear used clothing and your hair must be unkept. I'm not a leper. It's very obvious that you're a leper. In fact, there is, there is relief. 
there's relief in getting it over and saying, yes, I'm a person in need. There's no way you could go through life and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a Samaritan. Well, you, you dress differently. You worship differently. You think differently. You, you, you're involved in this. You don't do, go to the temple to do sacrifice. I mean, you know, people knew that you're a Samaritan. But listen, there's great relief in saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, a person, I'm, I'm, I'm a person in need. That's why Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Until I step up and say, I am weary and heavy laden. I am a leper on the inside. I'll never get the gospel of grace. I'll never get the gospel. There, there's relief in saying, this is who I am. See, to me, I think you hit a wall. I mean, sometimes you hit walls all throughout your life and you say, well, I've failed at this, I've done this, I've done that. When you hit the wall, either you walk in denial and you say, I'm not a leper, as you pour coffee on your foot and you don't feel it. And then you go into despair or you hit the wall and you say, there's the gospel of grace and there's a savior who bled on the cross in my place and he makes people well and whole by his grace. And, and, and there, there's, there's freedom in that. that there, so there's pain in recognizing your need. Do you realize that you're weary and heavy laden? Do you realize that, uh, that you're a leper? Do you realize that you deserve to live outside the camp? I just thought of this, but years ago, R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite teachers, said, he said, if, if I if I knew uh, your thoughts, your secret thoughts, I would not let you on this campus. He said, if you knew my secret thoughts, I would cut a hole in the carpet and crawl under the carpet. Do, do you realize? You're, see, there, there's joy in understanding you're weary and heavy laden because you run to the Savior. You'll never run to the Savior until you say, I can't do it. Number two, there's joy in knowing this one who forgives and restores. Incredible joy. This, this man, uh, as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet and gave him thanks. There, there, there's joy in that. John Newton wrote a hymn that I'll mention twice in the next few minutes, but it's called Amazing Grace. But one stanza says, this was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. That's such good theology. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. See, so God opened my eyes and let me see I'm a leper. I'm a Samaritan. I'm an, I should be outside the camp. I don't have it together. I am a sinner. So, so it was grace that taught my heart to fear and then grace my fears relieved by pointing me to the cross. Behold the joy of knowing this one. Thirdly, Jesus came to save battered and weary and broken down people. The other night I was in a meeting with a group of people and they were being creative and I'm not very creative. I just am not. I just get bored with creative people pretty quickly because I'm not. 
And so they were talking about a metaphorical image that would show people, communicate what we want to do as a church. And some people said, maybe it should be a bridge. You know, a bridge to the past, good theology, a bridge to the future, reaching future generations, a bridge to different groups, to love different groups, a, a, a bridge to fellowship, a bridge to community. And I thought, you know, yeah, we're, we're, they said, we're a land of bridges. Maybe we should do that. Somebody said, how about a river? You know, Psalm 4610, there is a river that makes glad the, the city of God. Or, and they came up with other things. And I really, I was, I was to be honest, I was, I was bored because that's just not the way I think. And so I thought, I'll liven it up. And I said, let's do this. Let's, let's make a hill out here and let's put a rock on a stand on top of the hill. And, and show that rock now. Show, show the rock in the hill. And, and let's let our slogan be a church for winners. Thank you. I thought it was funny too. Somebody down here laughed. Thank you. Uh, they didn't laugh either. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's really sad to go through life with no sense of humor. I feel sorry for some of you guys. But anyway. Um, I was trying to be lighthearted. L- listen to me. God forbid, God forbid, God forbid to the pit of hell that we should ever say this is a church for washed winners. This is a church for people who have it all together because if that's the case, I have to resign right now. God forbid that we don't say with loudly, this is a church for lepers and Samaritans and whores and drunks and addicts. Because God's grace covers those things. God forbid. So so let's go back to John Newton. John Newton wrote arguably the greatest hymn in the history of Christendom. Amazing grace, and it starts off like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A wretch. Now, synonyms for wretch would be reprobate, criminal, outcast, um, d- deplorable person. So show the little screen about wretch now. The, okay, so, so but what happens is, is in so many people's minds, we, we, I call it the devolution of really good theology. Instead of saying, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, we say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a struggling but valiant soul like me. Or we say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a less than perfect but gifted one like me. Or amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved one who does not live up to his glorious potential like me. It's wretch. Newton had it right. It's wretch. It's someone who should be outside the camp. It's someone who's a leper, a Samaritan, someone who deserves judgment. But the grace of the cross has covered our sin. This is the gospel, and it's glorious. John Newton died in 1807. He was 82 years, I think, the year he died. He was 82. Just a couple months before he died, he was had lost his sight, basically he's been led around and he was bedridden when he wasn't being led around and a friend named John Jay went to see him and he said, Pastor Newton, this guy was a slave trader. Newton was a slave trader, an immoral man. God saved him and he was a pastor for 50 years. He said, he said Pastor Newton, how are you doing? This is what he said and it's a great statement. This, he said, I, my memory is fading but I remember two things. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior, amen. That's the gospel. I'm a great sinner, but Jesus is a great savior. So, so and then I think about this passage. 
But I think about this Samaritan falling at the feet of Jesus. And I think about two receptions that Jesus received. Uh, one is in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark 5. And here's the story. There was a Gentile village with some people who made their livelihood, many of them, through being pig farmers. And as Jesus walked by that village, there were some two men who were possessed of demons. And the scripture says that one man could not be restrained with chains, that he cut himself, that he tore his clothes off, and that he cried out all day and all night. This is, it's a terrible, I mean, he, he was not on the cover of the tourism brochure for that village. I mean, he, he, he was bedeviled people. It was just a horrible, I mean, he, he, he would curse and cry out and frighten and do all types of vile things. Well, Jesus goes by and these men come to him and they have this interchange and Jesus cast out a legion of demons, a bunch. And he cast the demons into some pigs, 2,000 of them, and they go down the bank and they plunge into the heart of the sea, but these men are whole. Now, why he did the pigs, I don't know, but these men are whole. And, and so the pig herders go home and they tell the men who own the pigs and the townspeople that these demon-possessed men who ran around without clothes on, with matted hair, with all types of dirt, these men who could not be restrained with chains, these men who cursed and shrieked and carried on have been healed. They're healed. And, and the townspeople come out in mass and they see these men sitting, having a conversation, fully clothed, totally changed. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then in mass, they bring forth a petition and it goes like this in the scripture. It says this. It says, they said to Jesus, as a group, show the verse if you don't. It's Matthew chapter eight. Yeah. All the cities, all, all the cities came out to meet Jesus and when they saw him, they begged him to Leave. I mean, I step back and I go, leave? Why? Well, well here's, here's why. Here's why I think. They were economically strong. They were satisfied. They were doing okay. And they didn't want anything that's going to upset the status quo. And so they asked God in the flesh who had just delivered these demon-possessed men from a life of misery and horror to leave. Amazing. Jesus, leave. Please leave. We do that frequently. And until I am broken and battered and see my leprosy and my Samaritan-like spirit, I'll never run to Jesus. Another reception that dealt with Samaritans. John chapter 4. You know the story, probably. Jesus goes to a well. The men go out. His disciples go to get some food. He's sitting there. It's the middle of the day. And a woman comes. And Jesus says, could you please give me a drink? And she says, who are you, a Jewish man, talking to a Samaritan woman? Well, in reality... Men didn't necessarily talk to women, and certainly Jewish men didn't talk to 
some Samaritan women, but this woman was a different type of woman. She was coming at noon to get water, we think, because, you know, it's like in Charleston. If I do yard work, I want to do it sometime before 11 o'clock because after 11 o'clock, it's really hot. So you want to get the work done early. So, so this is what happened. So, so the, the, everybody else comes and gets their water early in the morning. They talk and they have a good time. They fellowship. They go home. They go inside their houses and get away from the noonday heat. She comes in the middle of the day because she is not only a Samaritan, but she's an outcast among the Samaritans. <laughs> I mean, she, she's, she's a Samaritan and she's outcast because Jesus says to her, go call your husband. And she says, well, I'm not married. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now isn't your husband. In other words, you're the town immoral woman. And she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And he had this incredible exchange. And she goes into the town. And, and, and this is what happens. This is in John chapter 4. Listen. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me all that I ever did, close quote. Just stop. If you're probably, you're probably thinking, like those townspeople said, you probably thought that was a long conversation. I mean, she was, she, she'd been through it. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many believed. Many more believe because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. In other words, these Samaritans realized they were Samaritans. They realized they didn't have it together. And then this woman who's an outcast among the Samaritans says, this man told me everything I've ever done, and he offered me the living water, which says I'll never be thirsty again. And they were intrigued, and they asked him to stay two days. They received Jesus because they were broken people. Broken people received Jesus. People who were needy worshiped Jesus. People who say, I don't have it together in my marriage, in my relationships, and they worship Jesus. They run to Jesus because they can't pull it off. As I said, Psalm 16, 1, preserve me, O God, for in you I find a refuge. Jesus says, I'm a vine, you're the branch. If you abide in me, you produce much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. So we run to Jesus. We run to the cross. We plead for the Holy Spirit. So I, just, I look at this, this man and his response, and I see a paradigm for joy or a paradigm for coming to Christ. It says here, it's just very quick. He says, one of them came back. Praising God with a loud voice, fell on his face and gave thanks. So very quickly, praised God. See, that's, I think it's about worship. Let me tell you, one of this COVID-19 experience issues for me, is I have missed being with God's people in worship. I mean, even though there are people here today, and I'm so glad you're here, and there are people, you know, on the live stream, even those who are here, when it's over, we're going to, leave quickly and get in our cars and go home. I mean, we're just not comfortable standing around talking. After the first service, there were two guys that I've known for a long time. And one guy came up to the other guy and just hugged him. I thought, whoa, he hugged him. He says, God, he says I, I've known this guy for 38 years, 39 years. I haven't hugged him at all for the last five months. Now, every time I see him, I hug him. <laughs> I says, I just want to be with people. I, I feel the same way. So, so, so part of the COVID-19 experience is, 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 
you're not with the people of God, I long for worship. And see, one of the great things about the Lord's Day is the Lord's Day is like we drive a stake in the ground as believers and we say, on the Lord's Day, I worship with God's people and I realize it's not about me, it's all about God. It's not about my purposes and what I'm doing. It kind of redirects my vision, redirects my focus, redirects my heart. So if I'm going to be a person who honors the Lord and has joy, I need to praise God or be a worshiper. That's what I take. Secondly, he cried out with a loud voice in joy. He cried out with a loud voice. Uh, praise God in a loud voice. I mean, I, but by this, I take away, this is my point. I need to speak his name. I need to speak his name to people around me. I need to say with great joy what Jesus has done for me. Like the gospel says, John, I once was blind, but now I see. The Apostle Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. So if I found him to have joy, I need to worship and I need to speak his name, speak his goodness. Thirdly, he threw himself at the feet of Jesus, showing his utter dependence. Um, saying, Lord, thank you for your mercy. I, 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 I need daily grace. When Jesus says, pray this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Deliver us from evil. So this week on Thursday night, God willing, if, if the dear lady lives and I do, I get to go to a birthday party and give a prayer for a, a, a dear woman I've known for a long time. And she's turning 100 this week. 100. <laughs> and she's... She came to church about eight years ago and she came up to me and she said, have you read Metaxas's biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer yet? And thankfully I could say yes, you know. It's about 700 pages. I mean, she's 92, she's plowing through an 800 page, 700 page biography, it's amazing. She's a dear woman who loves Christ. And, and, and she is a godly woman who's losing her sight. This godly woman, just like me, just like you, needs daily grace to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are never without the need for daily grace. We're never, we never arrive. So, so we, we throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Say, God, I, I need you, Lord Christ, I need you. And fourthly, he just said that he was thankful, giving thanks. I was reading a little devotional this week called New Morning Mercies, and the question the writer asked, uh, what was this, he said, um, what is the ambient noise in your life? Is it gratitude or complaints? <laughs> are you just a grateful person? Or do you complain? Are you, I just think that the people who know Jesus and the forgiveness of sin and know that they were Samaritans and lepers and outcasts and God opened their eyes and let them see, we're just to be, we should be thankful. So let me tell you the rest of the story regarding a Samaritan-like group called the Roma or gypsies. Several years ago, at a missions conference, we had a missionary from Europe, and I said, well, what's the Lord teaching you? He said, well, this is what's happening. He said, something's happening in Europe that is really astounding. He said, the people group that's responding to the gospel in ways unprecedented among that people group are the Romas. He says, many Romas are coming to faith in Jesus. 
I did some research, and this was a cover story in Newsweek magazine five, six years ago. It's about the number of Romas who are coming to faith in Christ and establishing churches and is changing their communities and they're getting rid of their fortune telling and this and that and some of the practices that have marked their lives really for centuries and they're really trying to focus their lives under the authority of the word of God to the glory of the name of Jesus. And, and, and in this article, I came across a quote from a, a, a Roma older person that I, I, just, I just chuckled when I read it and then I, I laughed for joy. And this is what the person said. Uh, Newsweek magazine, she says, the Roman Catholic and Orthodox, Greek Orthodox churches, and this is mostly in Eastern Europe, are very impersonal, and some have refused to allow Romanis or Romas inside to pray. But the born-again churches allow Romanis to have a say and titles and even become pastors with churches of their own, close quote. I mean, she's just amazing. She says, the born-again churches where Jesus is preached and the forgiveness of sin is seen by the work of the cross, where people experience new life in Jesus because Jesus died for them, is different. It's not tradition. It's a live, living, pulsating thing. And they welcome us and they even give us titles, whatever that means maybe sister or brother, and, and, and they even allow our men to become pastors of their own churches after they're trained. It's amazing. In other words, we're no longer outside the camp. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one. There's no dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. We're one in Jesus. Behold the greatness of the gospel. And I read this and I go, thanks be to God that he forgives leprous Samaritans like you and me. That's the good news. Let's pray. So Lord, thank you for the day and thank you for this glorious passage. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd help us to see uh, and, and say what dear old John Newton said, that two things we know, I'm a great sinner but Jesus is a great savior. So thankful that your mercy is incredibly, incredibly more profuse and glorious and covering than my sin. So we thank you, Lord. And while I pray this week that we, would, that we would celebrate your goodness and that we would speak the name of Jesus to people around us. And we will give you the praise in Christ's name.